Welcome to episode 22 of the Water Cooler Podcast. My name is Marley Silverbrand, and today I'm joined by Cameron. By, by me. Yeah. I'm here. How are you doing, Cameron? I'm all right. Yeah, have a good Thanksgiving. It was chill. Just, How about yours? Yeah, it, it was good. Just kind of played video games and watched movies and yeah, and just kind of just chilled. Watch Nate Robinson uh, get knocked, knocked the hell out. Did you actually watch that? I watched the, the highlights of it, just not, yeah. I, I just heard my friends saying like, oh, I heard all the memes and, and crap like that. So I was like, yeah. my stream got cut out, of course, because it's, you know, pay-per-view boxing. But right. uh, I, I do watch the highlights and it really wasn't much of a fight. Yeah, it the highlights didn't. It was it was kind of boring. But Nate, well, Nate, at least he's, fighted, I mean, they didn't have a chance. Right. Didn't look like he did. At least he's getting out there and trying something new. That's what I kind of give him credit for but <laughs> yeah uh mopping the mat with his face that's something new yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't know he was a journeyman in the nba so maybe he thinks boxing can be his sport but doesn't look like it so far but, no he just wanted a money fight he just wanted to get yeah. paid yeah but i also i also know publicity like, is good I'm, publicity right yeah exactly i also know that like another i'm not sure if ryan's a boxer like ryan are you a boxer I've boxed. I've watched boxing once in a while, but I really don't keep up with everybody. Right. By the way, Ryan's joining us from Old Man Orange. Hi. How are you doing? Doing good. <laughs> that I'm was good. a late introduction. <laughs> so, yeah. We, Ryan and I always like talk over each other, like during the introduction. So I kind of like delayed it a little bit just so we wouldn't have that issue. So I'm just that eager to talk. Like now, now, no, not yet. Okay. Right. <laughs> like, didn't we always do that? Like when I was on Old Man Orange? We're always like you would always be like and Marley, and then I would talk over you. I just figured like he'll introduce me. I'll let him do it. I'll just sit back. Right, but Ryan, how, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I can't complain. How are you doing? Actually, I'm, I'm Marley or Cameron already asked you. I know you're doing good. So yeah, my bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you have a good Thanksgiving kind of? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had to work for the first half of it, but um, got home early and then. My girlfriend and I, we, we don't, we live like within walking distance of this one brewery. They're doing Thanksgiving dinner to go, but they had like this really cool soul food company, mm-hmm. a soul food catering company doing it. So it was kind of like a different kind of twist on a lot of Thanksgiving stuff. So, and it, it wasn't, it was good sized portions. It wasn't ridiculously sized portions. So it was, mm-hmm. you know, all, so it was all, you know, reasonable and not overly stuffed. And, you know, just had a few, uh, Beers, few Irish coffees out on this deck by the river, having some Thanksgiving. So I can't complain. It was a good Thanksgiving. That's that sounds like super nice and super relaxing. Like this week has been like super tough to me for me just because I, I won't get into it just because we'll start going down that rabbit hole. But it just I feel like a little bit of regret for like the future and just kind of I don't really have hope for the future unless it's like my career and stuff like in this podcast, of course. But if I look at like society, I don't know. Like if you guys want to elaborate on that, like go ahead, but we're in a weird state. That's all. That's all there is to it. It's a weird state, but I think in all honesty, our country has been a worse place than what it's been in now, but it just feels worse because this is our generation going through it. But you know, I guess time will tell though. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. But, um, I am, very slightly hopeful that we can bounce back from all from all of this, but hopefully the the human race will prove me wrong. Which saying it like that makes it seem like they they won't. All right, now it's time to talk about an optimistic superhero movie. Yeah, exactly. An optimistic superhero movie where uh, a, a villain just likes to watch the world burn. So, but uh, we're going to be talking about like the Dark Knight, uh, Christopher Nolan's. Uh, is this his seventh film? Like in his in his filmography, following Memento, Insomnia, Batman Begins, 
Prestige, Dark Knight. I think it's sixth. Okay. All right. But yeah, I I am just going to assume that all of us are just on one side saying that this film is an instant classic and just absolutely lovely film. And it has so much to say about like the superhero genre genre and also just like classism as well. I'm just going to say that. And this is just going to be like a, another Christopher Nolan gush fest. We're just going to say he's how he how he's so great at crafting a story and with his characters and grounding everyone. Uh, am I correct on that? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'd say you're correct. What, what, what would what'd you guys think of this film? Brian, you go first. Well, it was as we as we said when we talked about Batman Begins, that I was always a fan of Batman. Batman Begins brought me back into it. Made me want to read the comics. So this was probably three or four years after that. So by then I had a good knowledge of it. And this movie pulls heavily from the long Halloween. So watching this movie, like, oh shit, this is long Halloween, kind of like a simplified version of it, kinda of, with a little bit like theme theme wise, a little bit of killing joke and all that. And so this was probably like, I'm going to say when I saw it, this was probably my favorite movie of all time. Now, 10 years later, I still really like this movie a lot. If you tell me top five superhero movies, I don't have really set order, but this movie is definitely in there. And it's also like, I think of a lot of times I almost think of like, I'm almost able to think of a year as like, well, that's when this movie came out. You know what I mean? For me, 2008 is when Batman Dark Knight came out, you know? Cameron? Uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a pretty pivotal movie uh, in in the genre. Rewatching it, I thought it was, I don't know, I spent the whole time looking for like symbols and stuff and like motifs and whatnot. And I think it was... A little bit more, I don't know how to put it. The characters were the symbols themselves to me. You know, it wasn't like last Batman episode where some objects sort of pointed themselves out as symbols a little bit more. But um, I'm at a loss of words right now. I don't know why. Uh, I kind of pulled a lot from like Prestige. So the last film that we just watched, there's a lot of like comparisons to that where. Prestige was all was all about rivalries. Like this one was all about rivalries too, with like Harvey Dent and and Bruce Wayne. Like the the first thing like Bruce Wayne like says like in the beginning of this film is that Harvey Dent is the White Knight and he was the Dark Knight. Like this is he's the hero that Gotham Gotham deserves because the Gotham needs a hero with a face. But Batman also needs to coexist because like I feel like they need to work together as a team. But they were constantly like kind of just going back and forth and stuff like they agreed with and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, what was that, Cameron? No, I was just going to go off of that. They need they you want integration to happen. You want things to come together, but people are still haunted by their paths or they're haunted by their own apathy towards things. And both Bruce and Harvey have that. Uh, but they both react different to their apathy. Mm-hmm. You know, Harvey had it even before the uh, Rachel's tragic death. But uh, once Rachel's death did happen, it sort of like drew him away from integration mm-hmm. and to his own. I don't want to say hypocrisy, but, you know, the Joker really flipped it, you know, Gotham on its head. And showed them, revealed to them their their excess, I don't know, apathy, like I said before, or their hypocrisy. Well, I think, like, the death of uh, of Rachel and that connection between her and Harvey is, I, like, Ryan will have to, like, elaborate on this a little bit with uh, with that connection, just because I feel like the way it was written, and I probably I'm not sure in the comics it might have been like this, that was kind of, like, the way Har- Harvey kind of turned at that point, like after Rachel died, we were, before that we were kind of saying like, "Oh, well, Har- Harvey Dent could basically like be the next Batman," and like uh, they're basically Batman and Harvey are basically like the same character. But like the moment uh, Rachel dies, like when Batman's parents die, like Batman and Bruce or Bruce Wayne 
made the decision to protect Gotham at all costs and and become like a vigilante. Harvey, on the other hand, like when we when he loses someone, he he took that other path, regardless of uh, like you you say that the Joker kind of contro- controlled him like a puppet and kind of pointed him in that uh, direction of like the the dark side. But Ryan, is that how it is in the comics or? It's kind of a weird mixed match because something I keep in mind in the comics is for a long time, they're holding on to the same continuity until they got to like the 80s, like from the from like the four, from the late 30s to the 80s. They're kind of holding on to the same continuity like that wasn't the 40s, was it? And they just kind of revamped everything and kind of redid things. And Long Halloween was there's a lot going on in it, but there's a story. It's more more of a two faced story. And the thing with that is. Like Joker's in, in it, but he's not the villain. He's like a villain. And the whole thing with it is he was kind of like, it had the, this whole dynamic of Jim Gordon, Batman, and Harvey Dent working together to bring, to stop this crime war, war between the Carmine Falcone family and all the, the, the super, the new super criminals. This is like, oh wait, there's a new breed of criminal in this town. It's these super villains and they're going, they're having a turf war with mobsters. So, and like someone dies on every holiday, it seems. Someone gets murdered from that crime family. And out of that, they're trying, it's this, it's this whodunit. They're trying to figure out, make all the connections. And at some point, the uh, Eric Roberts character, Sal Maroney, throws the acid in his face and he goes a little bit more insane. And that's where he says, all right, I've taken enough shit from the world when trying to do the right thing. I'm just going to do what needs to be done and starts killing the family, these family members himself. So he almost becomes like a dark, darker version of Batman saying, look what they did to my face. Look what they're doing to the city. This needs to happen. Where, where then Batman keeps on trying to stop him. Then eventually he becomes the very thing he was trying to stop fight. Very thing he was trying to stop. So in this movie, they do, they make, they make him a villain a little bit more quicker where he starts off a little bit more as kind of like a a dark anti-hero. And, uh, I think, uh, uh, is Aaron Eckhart that plays yeah Harvey Dent? Like I, I think everyone in this film is just just brilliantly cast. Like pretty much in most Nolan films, we kind of like repeated that multiple times. But I think I don't know. I think it, it's just interesting to see that the same like character pass of of Harvey and Bruce Wayne and Bruce Wayne. Like he chose to get revenge in in other ways other than like uh, than what Harvey did, regardless. Like I said, regardless of him being like puppeted by by the Joker. But. I feel like this movie also tries to do this thing of like maybe deep down Harvey Dent wasn't a bad guy. But one of the other stories they pull from is the killing joke, which is all about it goes in the Joker's origin. While it takes his one bad day to become a horrible person after something horrible happens to you. And that's kind of where not so much what happens in the book, but just that idea comes into play in this movie. And I guess. It's one of those things where um, I don't think that maybe deep down Harvey was meant to be a bad guy in this movie. I think he was just caught in the worst moment at his life when he was very vulnerable and just very and just didn't make made like the worst decisions he could have made. Yeah, I have to agree with that. Cameron, uh, what do you what do you think? I'm eating this chicken right now. <laughs> I think it's pretty we, can good. we can circle back. Yeah, I think there's an ongoing feeling that. Every character has, for lack of a better word, uh, a bad side to them, or they have bad feelings inside of them. And I don't know, each of them has their own, like, I don't even know. I don't even know what to say. I'm not going to lie. It feels kind of like maybe, um, well, even going back to Batman Begins for a second, if uh, that assassin didn't kill Joe Chill before Bruce Wayne did, he wouldn't be Batman. So... I guess it's also meant to point out that everyone, like you said, Cameron, everyone has a dark side and not everybody is like 100% good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's how we react to tragic events or, or not even tragic events, but dilemmas, social dilemmas, like the prisoners and the citizens have on the ferries that determine how you deal with your dark side and how you deal with those feelings and and yeah harvey definitely went down that rabbit hole you know pretty much the uh 
polar opposite of how Bruce Wayne dealt with it. But, you know, Harvey didn't have that assassin to stop him in his tracks to get lucky. Harvey never got lucky. Yeah. Uh, even though he put uh, put luck into his own hands with, his, with the whole coin flip. Yep. Yeah. I, I think that's an interesting point you brought up, Cameron, about like the two fairies and uh, it, with like the prisoners and like the innocent civilians, because I, I love that choice and also the parallel action. Like it's towards the end end of the film where Bruce Wayne is basically using like the civilians to get to Joker where he's using like the cell phone footage. Basically, Bruce Wayne just creates Facebook at that point, which <laughs> I don't think anyone actually like like brought that up like when this film was like originally released but i think the choice the one quote that that was super powerful to me is when uh it was like on the civilian ferry they voted like unanimously to like blow up like the prisoner the prisoner one and they said the guy said like oh we're still alive so they're still having a hard time with the decision too i thought that was like super powerful just because you may have like this uh, premonition of like what these people the, what these criminals like would do but under like those circumstances it obviously was different it's just it's like don't judge a book by its cover it's like one of those things uh, i thought that was like super powerful going back to the character's dark sides uh someone we didn't really mention was uh jim gordon because throughout the whole movie he's almost kind of the best example of what you could and should be but near the end he is so wrecked with guilt that he's not even like taking into account the way the Joker operates or how he was operating all before. And he's like, we got clear shots at these guys. We're taking these shots. And then Batman's like, I can't let you do that. We got to You know, he's just so like, he's so focused. It has such narrow vision on dent that he's kind of losing track of everything that makes him a good cop. And then Batman has to save the hostages from Jim Gordon, essentially who are dressed in thugs against as they're, Against their own, um, against their own will. Mm-hmm. We can definitely uh, say that humans can suffer from their own hubris, you know, like like the Jedi. Even you know, they think they have good intentions and they think they know what's right, and little do they know that you know can all be flipped upside down. I love the Joker in this movie. You know, granted, or I mean, we all love Heath Ledger's performance, but him as a character and how he pivots the movie and it, it's such a such a different different villain than we're used to seeing in normal normal cinema i was waiting for one of us to bring up the joker because we're, we're always talking about harvey dent and like bruce wayne but like the joker is obviously like he's not the main villain i don't think like the villain i feel like is is more like fear and also just people i kind of thought like people because what the what the joker does uh, like in this film, I'm not sure, but like in other fiction, other like Batman fiction, I'm not sure if he does this in other Batman fiction, but what he does is that he's basically like the puppeteer and basically lighting the fuse and just kind of letting everyone kind of react to what he's actually doing. Like, I feel like anyone could really do what the Joker is doing, but the way the Joker crafts it and kind of. The boats are like on the water, like the perfect example. Like he just sets up the scene and just kind of let everyone kind of duke it out like here and there. Because like most most of that conflict was done in, uh, with the people that he put in that situation. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. To me, he's not he's less of a puppeteer and he's more of just somebody who pushes you off the edge and, and watches you fall into madness. Mm. And, you know, all you need, like you said, at the end of the film. You know, madness is like gravity. All you need is a push. So mm-hmm. all he's doing is just intervening on Gotham's plans and their schemes, like he says, and just flips it upside down. And he just watches, you know, all the people fall out into madness and pretty damn good movie. Right. It moved uh, really quick. It was really quick to me. That did not feel like what two and a half hours running time not even yeah I, th- I think this is like one of the first films that like was pushing three hours of christopher nolan which is interesting because it like you said it just doesn't feel like two and a half hours three hours and like it's perfectly paced and just 
like I mentioned this on the last episode, like that first the introduction scene where the Joker goons are like raiding that bank. I remember because I'm not sure where we actually when we first saw this film, where we actually saw it. This is the first Christopher Nolan film that I saw on IMAX and seeing like that bank heist, like on IMAX of like the Joker goons panning from from across the screen. It was just like it was an awe. And like after this film, like I I made an effort to see every single Christopher Nolan film in IMAX, which kind of sad because this latest film I can't see. But but yeah, well, even that opening scene, like I mean, this isn't me trying to bring it down at all, but you know that the one guy not talking the whole time is going to be Heath Ledger. Everybody else is talking about the Joker. Mm -hmm. And that's not a bad thing. I just thought that was just kind of a great introduction. Yeah, it builds you up. It anticipates you for a, like, not like a crescendo, but the reveal. That's the sign of, like, good storytelling. Because, like, if you look at, like, most introductions and, like, films, like some of the greatest films of all time, the way they introduce story is by not revealing the characters right away you're showing like everything around them and how they, how they live, how they breathe. And then like, and then pan up and, and reveal like the actual character. And you're like, Oh crap, that's Joker. And I'm like, there, he was doing like all this, all, all these sinister things, but like Heath Ledger is just so good in, the, in, in this movie. It's like, I'm saddened that he's not with us anymore. Like there's been multiple like Joker per- performances, like after this, after this movie, whether, you would say that some of them are, are bad or some of them are better than this performance. Like, do, would you put kind of put Joaquin Phoenix in like that role of like, like he was kind of going after that like role in a way. And if like Heath Ledger was still alive, like that Joker movie probably would have been starring him. Like, do you think that? No, on the latter. I don't think if Heath were still alive, he would have played the Joker in the most recent film because mm-hmm definitely lives by itself outside of Nolan's Batman films. And alternatively, probably Joaquin was, you know, using other Joker performances as inspiration. But to me, that Joker, the newest Joker film definitely lives separately from any other Batman film. I don't put it above Heath's. I don't put Heath's performance above Joaquin's either. I think they're all served in the same plate. Oh, go ahead, Marley. Well, I was going to say, except for Jared Leto, just because that one was just that. That's not the Joker. So, That's just an yeah. uh, imposter. Right. That's a SoundCloud artist. <laughs> right. Well, it, it, you said he was an imposter. Like, wasn't the Jared Leto's Joker like an alternate universe or something like that? It was like, like Man of Steel is the kickoff to what they're, they're trying to do their own MCU, like DCEU. But then... They're zigzagging and they're changing things, changing that. And like, not everything's as connected. But for a minute, he was meant to be that universe's Joker. But who knows? They might totally retcon that and totally get rid of it. Yeah. I just wanted to say something about uh, going back to comparing Jokers just for a second. I feel like that this, it's definitely a different interpretation of the Joker. Like, he definitely stands out. But thematically, themes and way he acts it still seems very jokerish i mean you know because you get the very like woo batsy you know that that kind of whole thing but then you but that's very different from what this is but at the same time he still seems to have the same kind of the same kind of like philosophy as the joker which the world is bullshit he's calling them on their bullshit and he's just some artist who's ahead of the curve and no one is smart enough to understand and um i feel like the Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix, I, I liked it. I wasn't blown away, but I, I, I liked it. But I feel like it's just, um, it, it's somebody who knows of the Joker and they're trying to do like an artsier kind of approach. Like there's enough there to show they read a few comics, but it's very much, if you change the name, change the name of a few things and change the face makeup, you would think it's not even Batman. It would be something else. So yeah. it's still a performance. It'll be a taxi driver. Like Taxi Driver with a little bit of like King of Comedy or something like that. Yeah, but I, I would agree with you on that one. I um, don't know why I pivoted towards that. If it, yeah, I, I don't know. Obviously, like the big thing about like the Dark Knight was like the Joker, but I don't, I don't know. It's such, it's such a good performance. It's kind of hard to like discuss it just because it's like what needed to be said like about like this film. It's like it's really good. It's really well paced. 
Like it's really well acted. I guess we could say that the the levels on the volume is very irritating. I found myself turning up uh, during quiet scenes, and then all of a sudden a loud scene would come along. And oh fuck, I gotta! It's way too loud. I gotta turn it down a little bit. It, mm-hmm. That's the only. I mean, it'd be great in cinema, but when I'm sitting here at home, you know, like I'm constantly turning up and turning down the volume. That's really the only criticism I have. Yeah, that's an interesting criticism just because not a lot of us like talk about that, like in films. Like, obviously, this film was like designed for like IMAX and like to be seen on the biggest screen possible. And but like when you like you see it at home, like our speaker systems and sound systems aren't necessarily designed like that. So it's like I now I can understand like with this whole Christopher Nolan, like wanting wanting people to see Tenet on the big screen because like that's how he initially intended like his films to be seen, like seen with the best sound and best picture quality. And uh, yeah, it's, it's super interesting that he's kind of narrowing his audience, like to just uh, see his films like that. That, that statement uh, about the sound levels. I, I kind of see what you mean. Cause it'd be very quiet. And then all of a sudden Joker walks in a room and they got that very over the top, like almost like robotic score, that <laughs> thing going on, mm-hmm. you know? Which is, I feel like the score of this film is so good. It's so, you could feel it in your bones and just like your, your, your hair rising. Like, oh, what's Joker going to do next? Or what's what's going to happen next? I think this is a brilliant score by Hans Zimmer. And who else up? Was it James Newton Howard that helped him out with the score? Or? I don't know about this one, but I know they both worked on Batman Begins. Yeah, but Hans Zimmer is like probably one of the best like composers of our time. So I think, uh, I think the way they worked on Batman Begins is James Newton Howard. I think he did all the stuff more akin to Bruce Wayne and his life. And then Hans mm-hmm. Zimmer did all the Batman and mission based stuff. Oh, okay. Super interesting score and super like, like a um, experimental score. Like I, I feel like, like you never, you wouldn't necessarily hear something like that, like on a, on a big major blockbuster film like this one, but they kind of broke the mold a little bit. But speaking of sound, I feel like the introduction of Bruce Wayne's Batman voice, I feel like this became, it went full circle a little bit. Like this is where it's kind of started. That might be where it like, that might be one of my criticisms of the movie is because he does lean a little hard into that. The, the first one, he just deepens. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 it feels like the first one, he deepened his voice a little bit. But this one, it sounds like you ever talk to a dog like in a silly voice like ojo bojo ojo bojo it sounds like he's doing that voice for like when he's talking to half hours yeah <laughs> yeah i think watching this i was kind of laughing at that voice is because of what it's being done to the internet and just how many memes have come from it but it kind of makes sense like why he would choose to do that voice just because he's trying to hide his identity the entire time and it makes me think like maybe Bruce Wayne like had like a voice changer or something like that. That was something smart about, I mean, Batman v Superman, it has flaws. It has gaping, massive flaws. But I thought that was really smart. They made the voice. He had a voice modulator. They just changed his voice while he was in the cowl. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that one since it came out. Sorry if I'm uh, giving you no flashbacks. It's fine. <laughs> but I don't know. That's just something that, like, I guess, like, was it as bad as like, like Dark Knight Rises? Where, that's in a couple episodes. but. I, I can't remember Dark Knight Rises as much as this film. Like, did Bruce Wayne kind of like bring it up even more on that film? <laughs> I think that it's about the same because even I mean, I still that voice is not enough to kill it for me. And I get I think there's other ways of doing it. I thought he had the good balance of that voice and begins more so than this. But it didn't really kill it for me because I, I already knew that when people as a kid, when you play Batman with your friends, somebody would always be doing a voice kind of like that. So, you know, right. Uh, I, like it doesn't kill it for me, but it's this film is a lot funnier than I feel like than Batman Begins was. Like Batman Begins is still funny, but just hearing Bruce Wayne like with that voice, where like at the beginning of the film where he meets like those copycats, he masks, yeah, <laughs> which is <laughs> nice. Cameron, that's that's good. Uh, uh, There's a a funny um, like a couple of dudes did like a voiceover sort of comedy thing and for the dark knight i'll have to send it to you because it's fucking hilarious but over that line they voiced over instead of a hockey mask he says underwear he says i'm not wearing underwear 
Oh my god! Every time I see the Dark Knight now, I I cannot not hear underwear instead of a hockey masks. Oh, <laughs> that's funny. Do you know who the, those people were? Or you can't. Um, I know the title of the YouTube video is called Ted Dark Knight T E H instead of the. Yeah. Um, I don't really know much about the channel. I just know that that video was hilarious. Hilarious to me, and I always referenced it with my friends. Yeah. I don't know if it's the same guys, but um, there's a really funny Dark Knight Rises one. And since you can never see Bane's mouth, they had a field day with that. But I guess we'll save that for when Dark Knight Rises when we get to that one. Right. Yeah, I guess nice pivot there with the Dark Knight Rises. Like, because I feel like since we're talking about sound like that, it feels like he didn't Christopher Nolan didn't necessarily learn his lesson from one film to the next with, the, with just like the sound differences and just like and uh, I don't know, just the whole character of Bane in general. I don't remember Dark Knight Rises as much as like, uh, like, do you guys remember it that much? Like, I don't know. It just didn't hit home to me like like this film did. I remember it pretty well. Um, I, I remember I liked it, but I was disappointed still. Like, I remember well, I won't go into all of it, but I remember Batman Begins and Dark Knight being like, almost perfect movies to me and then going to see that one and being kind of like oh it's it's still good but it's not perfect but um then also defending it on other things that other people were giving a shit for yeah was, was there's something i was going to say just in comparison but um yeah oh, cameron how, how would you go next I'll, I'll come back oh i actually found the video <laughs> by oh you did it's by okay. <laughs> i took your video and there's only got like fifteen thousand views so i'll send it to you but when it comes to Dark Knight Rises, um, it was memorable for me just because it came out when I was starting to, I don't know, appreciate cinema as an art more, you know? And this was like the movie after The Dark Knight, when The Dark Knight, was, to me, was one of the first big films that I really tried to pay close attention to. So uh, I definitely remember Dark Knight Rises mm-hmm. a lot more clearly than I think maybe I remember Dark Knight. That's that's interesting. When I rewatched like The Dark Knight, I was like, I was just remembering it kind of beat for beat because I haven't seen it. Uh, like I've seen it like eleven times when it first came out. I've seen it like a couple times on on IMAX and just a couple times like just in regular in the regular format. But like I haven't seen it since like it basically left theaters, uh, despite like the first time I got it on Blu-ray and stuff like that. But just re- rewatching it like this week, I surprised like how much I actually remembered about like this film and like all the characters that I absolutely loved. And we we kind of didn't really talk about this, like the, the character of Rachel, like she was obviously recast. We talked about it last Batman episode. What do we think about um, Maggie who? Gyllenhaal? Yeah, Maggie Gyllenhaal. I feel like she was like a little bit more emotional and I felt more for her character than I did for like, like when Katie Holmes was Rachel. Uh, like, what, what do we think about like kind of the doppelganger Rachel, where it's just like, oh, that person isn't the same, but they're playing the same character. I think that uh, I think she was a better. I think she did a better job. Now it's not to say Katie Holmes did a bad job. I just don't think Katie Holmes was there to be anything other than just being like, "Hey, Bruce, get your shit together." By the way, happy birthday. You know, mm-hmm. I I feel like this version she has she can be a little. She's a little bit more playful in certain scenes. At the same time, she is still very determined, and she has. Better qualities and all the good qualities of the previous character. I don't think that's because Katie Holmes was a bad choice. I just think that she was given more to do in this movie, which ultimately makes it sadder when she dies. Mm-hmm. Right. That was like such a like a painful death. Where like just like I can't even imagine talking to someone that I really care about over the phone. And she basically was like calling out to Harvey and she doesn't even like they didn't even get to say goodbye. It's crazy. Like, I don't know. That's, that's such a brutal way to die, too. There's this other thing about her, which is right where she knows she's about to die. She's about to say something that's probably more than likely uh, endearing and probably something that's going to soften the blow. She hopes it will soften the blow. It's like mm-hmm. she's like Harvey somewhere, you know, and just kind of like trying to give him that ease, trying to make him OK with the fact that she's about to die. But she dies before she has a chance to even finish that sentence. What was Harvey's kind of 
like it, during that entire scene, like what was his like mindset like around? Like I understand he was like trying to break free, but like when he falls over, it's just kind of like I understand like he wants to kill himself is because he can't imagine like a world without like Rachel in it. I, I don't really understand what you think that he solves. fell over on purpose. It, that could be that could possibly could could be a thing. I don't know. What's your mindset like you around that? Taste like, the gasoline. Make sure it was good gasoline. <laughs> Ooh, it's A. That's what I do every day. <laughs> but when I fill up my car, I just, just trying to get it. high. Just right. off in the blow. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's because like at that like point, Newlander. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Not every day someone dies in a freak gasoline fight. Whatever. <laughs> right. It's I don't know. Like at that point, like he hasn't really interacted with Joker that much, so you can't really say that he was influenced by him. It's still he's still under that pain of like possibly losing Rachel, but the fact that he's willing to kill himself for her love it just seems a little seems a little strange. But I don't know. What do you guys think? I think I have an idea of what you're trying to say. I think that maybe the idea of he was just trying to get free. He was just being like, I'll just man my way out of these out of these handcuffs in this chair and this, you know, all these oil drums or whatever. And I think he's just like desperate and just flailing. And I think that he didn't really have a whole lot of interaction with Joker up until the point where he's in the hospital room. But I think that it is this thing of like, he's already said kind of fuck the world, but he always had that whole, like I make my own luck kind of thing. And now he's just like, you know what? It's not fair. These guys decided what they got to do and I got fucked over. So guess what? I'm just going to, Taste I'm the gasoline. Be, yeah. <laughs> Taste the gasoline. Hey, we're going to be fair. And if there's even like when, when like we get to the final finale of the movie where it's, you know, the three of them, the site where Rachel died, you can see he's kind of hesitant about what he's, what he's still doing because he said, when he says like point the gun at those responsible, he's like, okay, you first shoots Batman. Cause he has no problem killing Batman. Cause Batman saved in his mind, saved him instead of Rachel. And then he, Punts the gun at himself next, but lives. It's like, all right, now it's down to the kid. And he was almost trying to spare the kid in that way, I think. Yeah. Uh, I just find it extreme co- coincidence when he's like, has his face half in the, in the gasoline, little foreshadowing there. And then he just happens to hit the right part of the explosion where it burns half of his face off. Uh, it had happened right. one way or the other, but I, yeah. I, I yeah. think yeah. it was also... I'll say it was cool being in because the thing is, I saw this movie on a midnight showing and I was a huge Batman fan. And I read the comic not too long ago that this was loosely inspired by. So I kind of knew. So I I knew, of course, where this was all going. But then being in the audience with people who've never picked up a comic book before. And once that happens, oh, shit, he's that guy. You know, it was kind of cool. That was me. hmm? That was you. Yeah, I had no. No clue who Harvey Dent was or what who he implied to be. And I had this weird feeling throughout the film, like this dude's an important part of the movie, yet I don't have any idea who he is, you know. I knew even to extent who Commissioner Gordon was, but I'm like, what's this Harvey Denton doing in the picture? And then all of a sudden that scene happens and I'm like, Oh it was kind of so it was really cool. Yeah, so it was just cool just being a Batman fan and just First off, seeing this thing that, you know, was getting shit for so long, getting all this appreciation and all this um, recognition and being treated seriously. And then just hearing people, like you said, Cameron, like being one of those people just being like, oh, like we're just kind of clicks. Like, oh, he's the guy that Tommy Lee Jones played like a few yep. years back. Yep. Mm-hmm. Tommy, Tommy Lee, Lee Jones was in, was it? Uh, Batman Forever. Batman, yeah, Batman Forever. With the Riddler. And, and I didn't figure out until years later that uh was a chris reese or whatever his name is reese he was he's the riddler's character right chris reese who's that the the dude that uh blackmailed uh lucius fox no that's not uh that's not the riddler it's 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 a very riddler move but it's not the riddler riddler's name is ed enigma so there's been different variations where riddler has been a a ex-employee of gotham but it's yeah, it, it bumps all over the place. Mm-hmm. Who does that character like actually represent? Like what Cameron's talking about? Because he, he kind of just kind of pops up out of nowhere, where he's just kind of jealous of Bruce Wayne. He's a lawyer, and he just yeah. But I, I don't know. It's just like it seems like there's 
always like that one character. Like, in yeah, I thought works. I thought like, he was going to be the disgruntled uh, Wayne employee, or Wayne was his client, and kind of thought that there was a a reference to a another comic book character I knew nothing about. Right. I uh, I think he was just trying to make a point, like because first off, it's kind of a throwaway moment because I, I really like that aspect. Well, not the character, but the aspect of the character because he's there to pop up as this you know, shit heel who comes in to like throw like a monkey wrench and the whole system. And you think, oh man, this guy figured it out. And then Lucius Fox is like, go for it. You don't think we got contingency plans? By the way, he'll beat the fuck out of you. You know, and that right there is enough to make him go, um, okay. And then that guy comes forward with the information and of all people to save him, Bruce Wayne saves him and he shoots him that glance and maybe kind of showing a guy like, yeah, even I can still do good, or even I can change. You know what I mean? I can change possibly. Mm-hmm. Other than that, like, like I said, said this multiple times. Like, this film's just great. Like, if we were able to give it like a letter grade, I guess that's kind of like what we're doing at the end of these episodes. Like, what, what would we give it? What would we give uh, the Dark Knight? Like A plus for me, or at least a solid A at most. At least I give it a solid A. Yeah, but I think I think so too. Like A plus, like instant classic. Like this, like like I like how we we said like on the last Batman episode we said that this kind of changed superhero movies like for the better, and I feel like Dark Knight did that again. So it's like whether Dark Knight Rises kind of I don't know. We'd have to watch Dark Knight Rises to see what I, see what I think about it now. But yeah, uh, that's. That one is going to be like two episodes away. The next episode will be Interstellar, which I think will be a little bit more. Or Inception, Inception. I thought. Oh, yeah. Inception. Oh, yeah. Okay, never mind. I I got the I movies mixed up. But uh, but yeah, Inception. (laughs) Do uh, do you mind if I actually touch on one little thing? Because I think you're you're speaking on how this movie, um, how good it is and how it went on to change things. I noticed not just superhero movies, but in genre stuff, it kind of changed things for a while. Like, I feel like I'm going to make a weird little comparison here, but like, I feel like when Silence of the Lambs came out, that's almost when we got all these like super, like almost superhero level serial killers and not like slasher flick movie ki- ki- characters. But I mean, just like that super genius killer that's like three steps ahead of everybody. Like I think like Silence of the Lambs kind of kicked that off. With this, I feel like they incorporated like that kind of thing into the supervillain. Because, yeah, the supervillain would always have the upper hand at some point. But in this, his plan was so intricate and so perfect that I feel like, you know, you get like a fucking cracked article or whatever saying five reasons of why Dark Knight is overrated. Like, how did Joker know what corner to stand in the bank when the bus backed in or, you know, that kind of shit. But then, you know, if you look at it, though, there's so many movies right after this one that tried to have like the villain that intentionally got caught because he needed something in there to get out. Then he broke out with what he wanted or it had like the villain who seemed like he was kind of aloof, but really ahead of everybody else. Kind of like the, the villain in Skyfall sort of, you know, like I feel like the Harvey, the Javier Bardem character. I, I feel like this movie kind of got the ball rolling on a lot of that too, which it, it, it's a, it, it's good, which, on the movie, this movie itself is good, but other movies is like you guys are trying a little too hard, right? I think you also make a kind of a point, like half-heartedly, a little bit where when you mentioned like the cracked articles, like this movie is like it was kind of like that first movie that I kind of experienced where everyone absolutely loved it, but then like when someone comes along that hates it, that's when we kind of criticize them and be like, how like how dare you not like this film and stuff like that? It's it's. I don't know. I feel like it became polarizing in that way of just like the internet can be a dangerous place. For... It's not even it's not even like a how dare you have a different opinion than me. It's more of like I notice like you just like the day a movie comes out regard regardless usually if it's a it's a movie that people mostly agree on some like contrarian like site. I mean I'm not saying Cracked totally sucks. They have good articles. Arm, Armand White that if you're thinking of like a film critic he usually oh, hates armand white i don't even know who he's, that is he's the he's a new york times film critic that just absolutely like, oh you probably hate this then 
Yeah, I think he actually did. I think the reviews came out. You said it was like overrated. And he said he said he was one of those critics that said uh, Toy Story 3 was overrated oh. and th- thought it was a consumerist plot oh, against fuck this guy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Every so often you'll hear like you'll hear like a crit like if they don't like it, they don't like it, whatever. But then you get those people who get like there's somebody who said like Civil War is for the bra- like Marvel Civil War is for the brain dead. It's like, go fuck yourself. You know, you're just mad. Right. You're not the Russo brothers right now. But it was like it was something to, like I'm not trying to like totally lead on a whole other topic here, but it's, it's like one of those things like a movie will just come out and somebody's already kind of like just analyzed it to death and brought into fe- there, are, there are things you could bring up. And if you really look long enough, there are things that are just kind of like, yeah, that doesn't all click together. But the idea that, you know, they it's like, how do you know to stand right here? How do you know to do this? It's so unrealistic. Yeah, it's a guy dressed like a fucking bat fighting a guy dressed like a fucking clown. It's not going to be <laughs> right. realistic. Right. Exactly. They, like, turn their brain off for some scenes and don't know when to turn them on for, like, different scenes. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like this, like, The Dark Knight does that a lot, where there's moments of this film where you probably should turn your brain off for a little bit, especially, like, the scene where where Joker as holding Rachel over the, over the, like the balcony and, uh, and Bruce Wayne says, uh, um, let her go. And she, so he's like, Oh, that's a poor choice of words. So he drops her and then Batman catches up to her. Like that's not how physics work, but I'm willing to turn my brain off where that, like that scene is like absolutely like riveting. So. Well, even like good, like even like, you know, jokey fun criticism, as opposed to like some pompous asshole that writes for New York times. There's like how it should have ended. And then they did Dark Knight and he, he catches Rachel. She's like, oh, we survived by landing on this car. But I don't know how. Then Batman just like, uh, <laughs> just <kind of> like <laughs> right. Like with that scene in general, like even like knowing that him catching up to Rachel is kind of improbable. But like the way they land, the way she lands and like how frail she is, like she would have like broken like a lot of bones in her body just like by hitting the car like pushed up against bruce it's like the fact that they have like no scratches it's like i know i'm looking into it but but still it's just funny to think about even though people say this might this is unrealistic i feel like it's more unrealistic than what happened i mean aside from dressing like a bat what's something he's known for like a grappling hook so i feel like it would have been easy just for him to catch her you know just swing away or something but it is what it is it's nothing to ruin the movie by if you look at the like i'm not this movie's not a hundred percent perfect but nothing really is you know so. yeah exactly there's all the no no film is like a hundred percent flawless but but yeah it, this film is such an instant classic that moves into like what we're going to be talking about next week uh inception so uh wait it's interstellar oh, <laughs> cameron <laughs> wait i now i gotta check it's inception. It's inception. It's inception. Okay. okay. All right. But yeah, I mean, I know because I saw this movie with a girl I was in dating at the time, and then by the time I went to go see uh, Inception, like, why the fuck she break up with me? Oh, okay. so that's how that's how I'm able to remember it. That's what it is. Like this time that that year we were seeing Dark Knight together, but now I'm seeing Inception by myself. So that's how I fucking know. Oh my god! <laughs> you could definitely correlate that with some of the themes in the movie if you want to. Oh, definitely. That movie's like, oh, I get it. My girlfriend's the train that appears in my dreams. Okay, oh. yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Would, yeah. But yeah, Inception. Be sure to watch Inception for uh, the next uh, discussion. I haven't seen this film in quite some time, but I remember loving it. But also, kind of, I don't know. Just the ending of that film, I really appreciated that that nolan kind of open-ended oh uh, yeah left it open-ended uh, i guess it probably should have saved that for the actual episode but i don't know this is i feel like with this one i felt like this is the first one that joseph was it joseph gordon levitt in this one mm-hmm. no he's in uh i think he's in deceptions the first one he's in. yeah oh that's uh, right. oh, I think yeah this. uh this is kind of where i started falling in love with like joseph gordon levitt as like an actor and i thought not as like a uh then I seen Five Hundred Days of Summer, and just like one he was with uh, with in Scarlett Johansson. Oh, that was Don John. Don John, yeah, that was a good movie. He directed that. Really? Yeah. I never saw that, but I remember working for the theater while it was out. 
Yeah, I, I think I remember seeing it in theaters, too, and doing theater checks on it. I just never actually saw it. That That's Don John is where uh, he's like a the porn like a, addict addiction. OK, in, but he's uh, also like a personal trainer, too. I don't know. He's like a bro. He loves working out. He's a guy who's stuck in a, in a routine and it's about breaking routine, basically. OK. Yeah, I'll have to watch that. Inception. That's be sure. Like I said, be sure to watch it. That's all I have, unless anyone else has anything to like close on. Uh, that's that sums it up. Yeah, Dark Knight's awesome. Sorry for like the <sighs> kind of weird discussion, but it's uh, it's yeah, kind of hard to complain about this. Absolutely film. nobody. What was that? Nothing. Oh my god! <laughs> Your sound totally did the Dark Knight thing, where it was really quiet and it got really loud for a minute, like that. Right. The uh, but yeah. Uh, Ryan, uh, where could people find you? On that um, I'm on Twitter at DunnaganRyan and Instagram at Grit5. Mm-hmm. And then OldManOrange.com? Oh, yeah. OldManOrange.com, yeah, yeah. And I do two podcasts right now. I do uh, Old Man Orange podcasts. And then um, tw- like every other week, I'm doing this other show called Octorock Talk with my friend James. All right. Uh, and then did Old Man Orange is like, Getting up to like 500 episodes, right? Yes. Spencer and I will be at 500 fairly soon. We're in the 480s right now. So, yeah. Nice. You, you should get me on for oh, the 500. We'll definitely get you on at some point pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Or Cameron, too. Yeah, I'll get you both on at some point. But Cameron, uh, SoundCloud, that's. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Where I oh, sound- am. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. I'm also uh, sailing the seas on Sea of Thieves and the ancient isles and the seas of plenty and the wild shores. Well, if you ever come across me, give me your loot or die. Well, it, it, unless I'm on a major holiday, of course. Unless or my birthday. Yeah, th- Thanksgiving <laughs> or Christmas. That's when you. Yeah, that's are... when I like to give out loot and like to work. Yeah. I like to co-op, cooperate, as they would say. Right. I'm not too oh, just a, keen I'm on sorry. that. Oh, just to clarify, when I was ma- when I made a jab at like SoundCloud artists when comparing uh, Jared Leto, I meant SoundCloud rappers, not not like guitarists or anything like I, that. It's fine. I didn't take it personally. Just he fun. did. He did take it personally. How dare you, Ryan? It's like that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, other than that, I'll just I guess we're summing off. Uh, I'm Marley Silverbrand. I'm Pickle Rick. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> That was Cameron. That was Cameron. And I'm Ryan Dunnigan. And we'll see you next week. See ya.